This hearing was partly sealed because it was dealing with the defendant's motion to dismiss the indictment. The defendant, Brian Koberger, had been indicted like just a shush ahead of the preliminary hearing. Everybody was getting ready for the preliminary hearing. We're like, ah, it's going to be a two-week preliminary hearing, and we're going to get to see the evidence and the witnesses and learn things. And they were like, ah, here's a grand jury indictment. I'm legal analyst Emily D. Baker. This is The Quick Bits, where I break down just the main points of the pop culture and entertainment cases I'm currently covering on YouTube and The Emily Show podcast. Let's get into it. So he got indicted. The defense made a motion to overturn the grand jury indictment or to dismiss the grand jury indictment. If the court had granted that, which they didn't, but if the court had granted that, then this would have started at the beginning again, and they would have either indicted him again or they would have done a preliminary hearing and it would have just moved forward from there. So part of the hearing, the morning part of the hearing, the attorneys argued outside the presence of the public, outside the presence of the media, because things that were discussed, and I imagine outside the presence of any victim's family members as well, because what was argued there went into the grand jury transcript, the selection process, and things that are generally sealed. So that hearing was also sealed. Do you remember the motion to dismiss the indictment? That was like, back when the Magna Carta was written, there was no such thing. It was a very long historical breakdown of why they believed, the defense believed, that the grand jury indictment should actually be a beyond a reasonable doubt standard, not a probable cause standard. I had argued then, I continue to believe, that when you are at the beginning stages of the proceeding, you have an incident, you have an arrest, you have a determination of probable cause. Is it more likely that this person that is being held in custody did the thing? And can you try that person for doing the thing? And then you go through the rest of discovery and then you do a jury trial and then you try the thing or the person please or whatever. But you have that initial probable cause determination because you can't just hold people in custody indeterminately for no reason. You need to have probable cause. So the preliminary hearing in the grand jury, in my mind, served the same purpose of determining probable cause at the beginning. So that's what was done. The defense was arguing it was the wrong standard. The defense was arguing that um, the selection process for the grand jury was wrong, that questions that needed to be asked weren't asked and things like that. So that is what's going on with that hearing. There was also a motion regarding cameras and the prosecution and the defense were all just like, "Mm, we're cool if there's no cameras, Your Honor. Like, we don't really... We don't really mind. And the media coalition, through their attorney, who was the attorney representing the university professor on the University of Idaho defamation TikToker situation, same attorney, Kathy Olson. So the media coalition attorney came in and was like, Excuse me, Your Honor. I know that everybody's like, Hey, we don't need cameras in the courtroom, but like the media disagrees. We need to be able to make this case transparent and not turn it into a complete circus outside the courthouse. It is a small courthouse. We need to have people have access to this case. I think for me, one of the strongest arguments for that is similar to what we saw in Waukesha, Wisconsin with the Brooks case. The amount of people impacted in the community by the case, in the Brooks case, were too great to fit in the courthouse. Everyone in the community, or at least a 
substantial portion to which I can be hyperbolic and say everyone, but a substantial portion of the community, if not everyone in the community, was impacted. Lots of them were at the holiday parade that Brooks drove through. Lots of them have immediate and first-person connections to one of or multiple of the victims, victims' families, friends. There was such a large community that was impacted, directly impacted, because they were connected to the case in such a significant way. There was not enough room for all of them at the courthouse. So filming that case or broadcasting that case allowed everyone who was impacted and interested to engage with the case or watch the case in its own way. And here, the university is its own community. It is a, though universities can be large, they feel like small communities. And so that school community is so impacted, there's not going to be the ability for everyone who is impacted by this case to show up in court. The ripples of that are too great. And that includes students who have graduated and have moved away, students who were um, not wanting to continue with the university after this happened, things like that. So I believe that because the university community is also it's such a significantly impacted community, but also too large of a community to fit inside a courtroom that you have to have some way to make it accessible for the community to view this trial when the trial gets started. And that is a huge thing for me is to allow everyone impacted access to the courthouse. So I think cameras need to stay or if for some reason they get rid of cameras, they have to let interested parties watch over Zoom or something because they cannot accommodate them all in the courthouse. Those are my feelings on it. You guys know how I feel about cameras in the courtroom. I feel very strongly. It makes court much more accessible and it lets also the interested public participate and watch the court proceedings in a way that does not impact the court proceedings. Though in this case, we are seeing, uh, again, arguments that somehow people watching can impact the case from watching on the internet. People should not be directly interceding with cases when they watch. Don't engage. Just observe. Observe. That's it. So what happened in Idaho, other than the sassiest arguments about 1890 you will ever see? Judge Judge and Mr. Longston for the defense had a riveting back and forth about the legislative posture of the standard of proof for a grand jury. The judge ultimately denied the motion to dismiss the indictment in Idaho, but said very clearly, I appreciate you bringing this argument. It might just need to go back to the Idaho Supreme Court to be decided. It seems that this is a well-settled area for the Idaho Supreme Court, but it is not my place to overturn what the Idaho Supreme Court has already decided. And the Idaho Supreme Court has in fact already said that the standard of proof for a preliminary hearing in Idaho is probable cause, not beyond a reasonable doubt. And that that is where we are going. That's where we're at in Idaho. Cameras are staying in the courtroom. No further dates have been set. I was really hoping at the end of that, we would get a next scheduling hearing. Nope. What we got is that is all for today. So when will this come back to court? I do not know. Do we have a trial date set in Idaho? No, but the court is doing in-camera hearings regarding the DNA that is still an outstanding issue. And knowing what goes on with the DNA, I think will be the next big hurdle to as 
when this case starts moving forward. And we will see that in the next few weeks. The judge has some written rulings that are going to come up. I will be interested in the judge's written rulings on this. And we'll go, we'll go from there. But the attorneys brought kind of their feisty arguments. This is something that you'll see more of in the pre-litigation or pre-trial litigation. You get to see the personality of the lawyers. I appreciate it. I really do. We got to see um, zealous advocacy in in true form with respectful disagreement and some um, banter between the judge and the defense attorney. And you can tell that they were genuinely enjoying the conversation with one another for all the showmanship of court. All of them were there having those those conversations. And this is one of the things I very much like having courts broadcast. You get a sense for the judge more than you would off of a written transcript. You get a sense for what really happened in court more than just saying the motion was denied. Not just was the motion denied, but the judge is like, this is going to go up on appeal. And there's this area of law in Idaho that maybe isn't as settled as we thought it was. Maybe the obvious isn't as obvious as we as we think. And exploring those things is one of the fundamental parts of law, not just assuming because everybody thinks it's this way that it is in fact that way. Going back to the code and asking the questions. And Mr. Longston did that. He went to the code and was like, I don't know if we can do that and trying to do that. So with all of it, I appreciate Judge Judge. I appreciate the work of the attorneys in court this day as as one of my other favorite judges would say, that was enough work for this day. Did you see Brian Enton's tweets about the King Roadhouse? The FBI is there right now. I did not. I wonder if Brian Enton is still in Idaho after covering this court hearing, but this court hearing was last week, or if that's from, from people on the ground. Let's go to whatever Twitter is called these days. The King Roadhouse, which is the crime scene for this case, had been scheduled to be demoed, and then it had been paused. So it's interesting that there is something going on there when the demolition had been paused, because everybody said they were done. Plywood just removed from the doors and windows of the house where the University of Idaho students were murdered. FBI going back in to construct a physical model of the inside. Well, that makes sense. They might be doing the 3D model so they can construct a physical model. Yes, this is somewhat unexpected, especially considering prosecutors agreed to have the house demolished, and it likely would have been torn down already had the victim's family members not fought it. I'm told family members got a heads up. FBI would be back today. Investigators are returning to the house where the murders happened in Idaho. The FBI will be back today to construct visual and audio exhibits and a physical model of the home plywood we have seen on the doors and windows will be removed this morning. That's what's going on there. I appreciate that Brian Enton said why. There were motions over this that I covered ages ago that talked about the fact that the house is not in the same condition it was, so you couldn't even do a jury view because walls have been opened up, floors have been ripped up. The house is not in the same condition. So a jury view would not happen. So the prosecution and the defense said, we've gotten everything we need from the house. I assumed, wrongly, that that meant they had already done 3D imaging for modeling of the inside of the home, especially when you have victims found in different parts of the home and you're going to need to explain to a jury how someone got in and out of the home. Kelly said, well, I'm glad they didn't tear it down. Same. They did not unpause demolition. The families asked the university not to demo it. The university owns the home now. And the university said, 
given the um, request of the families, we'll just leave it until the trial is done. The families were concerned that stuff hadn't been done. The families had were concerned that, and maybe this is why they were concerned things hadn't been done. The families were concerned that need would come up and they had been proven right. Law enforcement didn't try to do the modeling because they didn't have time with the initial trial date. Now they have time. I mean, they could, I think they could have still taken the three, had the 3D scans done. They might not have been able to model them, but they could have at least done the 3D scans to preserve that data with whatever the name of the scan is that they used in uh, the Murdoch case. You can stay up to date with everything I'm covering on our free iOS and Android app at lawnerdapp.com or search your app store for LawNerd. And you can also follow me on social media at the Emily D. Baker. Remember, I stream on YouTube on Tuesdays and Thursdays. I recap all of that for you in quick bits on Monday. And of course, The Emily Show drops on Wednesdays. Thanks for being a LawNerd.